Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to read with you the first 21 verses of this chapter as we consider a lesson in the providence of God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it into, unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she, was, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were, a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him, and lift up her voice, and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. 
And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Amen. We'll end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning I want us to think particularly on the words that we find there in verse 19. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. I want to entitle what we're considering this morning a well out of nowhere. But before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to bless the word. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless this time that we have the word before us. That you will allow it to be that which is used of the spirit of God. To direct our hearts and our minds unto the Lord our God. Oh, may we be taken up with thyself, we pray this day. Deliver us from being taken up with ourselves and our situation. But may we consider that which thou dost say, that which thou hast done, and that which thou hast promised to do. Oh God, I pray that you will teach us, guide us, help us, lift us up as well. We pray for the glory of the Lord Jesus. To this end, I ask for the help of the Spirit of God, the directing of the same. Lord, let every heart know the voice of the shepherd to their own ears and hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To begin this morning, I would like to consider one word in our text. And that word is well. Well. What does well mean? Well, as I was thinking on that thought, I went to consult one that I regularly consult with, and that's Dr. Webster. And to see what he had to say that that word would mean. And I found that the word well principally means three things. It can mean, first, that which is approvable, pleasing, or gives satisfaction. An example, she sang that piece well. Her performance was deemed pleasing, approvable, and satisfactory. Well is also a good state of health. John was sick, but now is well. Third, well is a hole dug to supply water. Now, why am I offering these definitions to a word that everybody understands and knows and would see readily what the meaning was in this point of Scripture? Well, the answer is because contrary to all the rules of language and grammar, I am going to allow a merging of all three meanings from time to time in order to make a point. What am I saying? Well, let me set the whole thing before you this way. God opened her eyes and she saw a well. Now, I want you to think of it in all three cases there. 
And I think you can see what I'm trying to say. In the moment of God's providential intervention for Hagar and her son, God caused her to see a hole with water, changing her situation into that which is good and pleasing and satisfactory, and brought renewed health. She saw a well. Uh, am I trying to be too cute and make something from a word that obviously has one meaning? Well, maybe. But I believe that there is a lesson in this way of thinking. A lesson in the nature of man's dilemmas and God's providences that is plainly to be observed in exactly the way that I am turning this word. When God opens our eyes in the moments of our deepest needs and distress to see what he provides for us in Christ Jesus, we see a well. Now let me expand on that. When God steps into our need, we see the truth of our situation and the truth of God's loving care. And we know at that point what God provides is well. We also see how God chooses to provide for us is well. When God brings the providence, it is well. What is done in us as a result of the application of God's providence is well. And what we are able to do after that providence is enjoyed is well. As we consider this text, let's keep in mind this question. How did the well get there? In all its meaning here, how did the well get there? Hagar and God's providence were seen in the middle of a wilderness. How was it there? We'll answer that question, but I want us to think on this as our, our theme, as our thinking today. And what I suggest to you is seen in this incident and in all the ways I'm trying to describe it. God's providences are always purposed aforetime, always applied in time, and reflect his loving care for all time. Right. Let me just repeat that quickly again. God's providences are always purposed aforetime, always applied in time, and reflect his loving care for all time. Now I want us to think about this incident and how that is proven out by what we see here. I've got three things I'm going to discuss with you. First, I want you to think about the nature of our distress. The nature of our distress. We can look at Hagar's distress and find much common ground with what we know in a number of ways during our days. Hagar was in a moment of desperation and also in a time of utter inability. Consider with me her situation. Number one, she knew she was facing, she had upon her the shame of being driven out by Abraham's house. 
This was no small matter. The entire world would know that she was driven away. She had to live under the light of that all her days. How would she deal with that? Number two, she was facing an impossible task of traversing the wilderness. Where was she going? What was she to do wherever she ended up? How could she explain herself? Would anyone believe her or help her? Would she be considered not only an outcast, but maybe people would suspect that she was really a criminal and treat her badly? How would she explain this wandering? Third, how could she and her son, the two of them, survive on a bottle of water and a piece of bread? Well, the answer to that is obviously they were not going to. Isaac, remember with me, excuse me, Ishmael. Ishmael was 13 when Isaac was born. And if Isaac was weaned at two years old, Ishmael must have been about 15 years old when this occurred. We have to ask a question here. Would not a 15-year-old boy in good health be more likely to hold up than his mother? Well, maybe he succumbed to the sun. Maybe there was something that caused him to have some sort of a heat stroke or something, whatever. His mother says, I'll put him under the bush and then I'm going to go off. I can't stand to see my son die. Number four, there was no relief to be had. Here was her situation. No relief to be had. All there was to do was to weep. I say, here's the nature of the distress clearly seen. And I would think that some of us might be able to say, you know what, I think maybe I have been in that same sort of situation. Maybe not have all the exact same points that Hagar saw, but I feel like I've been in exactly the same situation. There is no resource, there's no explanation, there's no reason, there's no help. The only thing that I can do is sit down and weep. And I'm going to just suggest to you an observation. An observation about the distress that comes upon the people of God most often. And I would say to you that most distress of heart and mind and soul is a product of two things. Illustrated by what we're seeing here. First, I would suggest to you that distress of heart comes because there is no ability to see. No ability to see. It is impossible to see how the situation can be relieved, how going forward can be done. Where is the help? Where is the provision? And where is any reason to any of this? When a man finds himself in a situation like that, I would say very plainly, the product is often a deep sense of distress. I can't see. I can't see why. I can't see how. I can't see where. I can't see anything about it. There's nothing about this that makes sense to me, and I have no way to get myself through this thing. I can't see. 
therefore distress. But I say distress also comes for a second reason, and there, that is no ability to change things. I can't see and I can't change. Every possible action or remedy is utterly without effect. Again, there is no resource. It appears that there is no guidance. All is adrift. And the end cannot be avoided. It's time to just sit down and weep. And I would say to you, very plainly, to, to many of us, so many of our days appear to us to be just this way. In fact, you may be in such a day today. Let me also mention this. I have been talking about perhaps the circumstances of life, but I want you to see that the matter that I'm describing can also be seen in the same way when it comes to spiritual distresses. How many of us have known times when we were under the weight of our sin? We know the weight of it. And we cannot see the way to be free from it. We cannot see how we can possibly be right with or forgiven with God. Oh yes, the scripture tells us but somehow in our thinking, in our ways, in our minds, in our hearts, we just don't see how it works. We're blind. We cannot see. And as I was thinking on this thought, the, the words of a gospel song came to me. One sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind. The light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shivered in the shadows. But Jesus came and set the captive free. Yes, oftentimes our spiritual distress, our wrestlings in our hearts, because we can't see how this is to be made right. But also I think our spiritual distresses are exactly the same in that there's no way to change the power or the price of sin. You know, I think the torture, the, the means that Satan uses to distress and torture us is that he suggests to us and our minds agree that we are unable to see any hope. We can't change the thing. It's just completely out of our hands. And you know, it's amazing that this particular point is so widespread that you can look all throughout the world and see men trying to create all kinds of ways that they think that they can be freed that they can change their spiritual dilemmas, that they can change their spiritual distress by creating things, and nothing works. You cannot change the stains of sin. You can't do it. They have to be washed away. You can't change the penalty of sin. So I say to you that many, many spiritually just sit down and weep as it were. What can be done? What can be done? The nature of our distress, we cannot see, we cannot change. I want us to think second then on the application of God's provision. 
And I come back to the question that I asked at the start. How did the well get there? How did the well get there? Well, you could say one of two things probably happened then. Either, number one, God could have miraculously made a well rise up out of the ground. He made water flow out of the rock, didn't he, in the desert? Well, couldn't this be the same sort of a thing? It was a miracle. Well, we could also say, well, this could have been a well that was dug long before this moment. Perhaps some needed a well for their flock. Or some, for some other reason, this well was dug some time back. Well, I'll say this. One, each answer is as amazing as the other. You say, why so? Because this was in the middle of a wilderness. Who would think that a well would be found there? This is not the place where you find wells. This is not the place where you have such a, a remedy. This is not, you can't look for this. You cannot expect, you couldn't imagine that this would be something that would be provided. In many ways, as my title suggested, we would have to say a well came out of nowhere. It was absolutely unexpected and unlooked for. My question would be to you this morning this. How many times in Scripture do we see such things from the hand of God? In Genesis chapter 2, some of you may have even read it this morning. A ram was caught in a thicket. How did it get there? How did it get caught? Why was it there? Well, there was a need for a sacrifice. Judges chapter 15. There's a jawbone lying on the ground for Samson to use. How did it get there? Why did the poor donkey have to die right in that place? Well, there was a need, for there was a fight to fight. And God supplied. Matthew chapter 17. There's a coin in the mouth of a fish. How did it get there? Why was it there? There was a need for a payment of something owed. Luke chapter 9. There were five loaves and two fishes and a boy's lunch. How did the boy happen to bring his lunch that day? There was a need for the master to feed his sheep. John chapter 3. There was a son given. Why did he come? There was a need to save his people from their sin. My point to you is simply this. When God applies his providences, his providences are always purposed and put in place before there's a need the answer is there before we need it. The answer is there before we ask it. But what is the nature of God's providence applied? How is it that we actually come to know the good from his hand? How do we come to see the well? I think you have the answer right here illustrated for you. How do you come to see God's providences? How do you come to see the provision of God, the purpose of God, put forth in your case? Well, first, I want you to see this. You hear the voice of God. It says there, and the angel of God called Hagar. 
How many times do we see the Lord Jesus saying the words, as we have in Mark 4, If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. The providences of God are often revealed by the Lord after there has been a speaking to the heart by the word. Now note that the reference here is that the angel of God spoke to Hagar there in verse 19. Well, who can this be? Well, and it says in the beginning of verse 19, and God opened her eyes. Well, that's who it was, the angel... The angel of God, the word, God, it was the one who is the word. Are you in distress this morning? My question to you is this, where's the word? Where's the word? Are you in the word? Have you been to the word? Have you heard the voice? That's the first thing in God's providence is he brings you to the word Second, the eyes of the unseeing are open. Foolish men seem to think that seeing or understanding the ways of God is merely something that you can do. Just educate yourself in spiritual things or perhaps more likely to than uh, today, get counseling. Oh, may I suggest to you that the opening of the eyes to see God's provision is an act of God. And the Lord opened her eyes. It is a work of God's grace. You know, when the Lord healed the young blind man in John chapter 9, his comment back to anybody who asked, how did this happen? Was this. One thing I know that where I was blind, now I see. Somebody did this for me. Somebody worked for me. Somebody came and touched me and caused me to see. I couldn't have seen. I wouldn't have known. I, the only thing I could do is sit there and beg. Or in Hagar's case, sit there and weep. That's all. I, but no, one came and opened my eyes and caused me to see and to behold. Oh, Oh, here's the act of God. Here is where the Lord would have me to look. This is what the Lord would have me to understand. And so I would say this, and again, I'm going to play my word game, and I, I'm sorry if you can't go with me on this, but I'm going to play my, in my own mind this. This, by faith, when you look at what God has provided, the only thing that you can see is a well. It is a well. Water to drink health to the body and soul, and the whole matter is satisfactory. <coughs> That's the nature of God's providence. It's water to my soul. It's health to me. And it is pleasing and satisfactory in every way. God's provision is by first hearing then it is by the opening of the eyes. And third, I want you to see this. There's an act of faith and belief. <coughs> Excuse me. God's provision is taken. Hagar got up and went and filled the bottle. You say, well, what's that mean? Simply this, that Hagar didn't evaluate the desirability of what God showed her. So many Christians seem to think that when God provides that they can judge it by this. But it's not what I want. 
but it's not what I want is nowhere to be seen in the faith that up, lays hold of God's provisions. <coughs> How did God provide the well? How did it get there? You know the answer to that, quite frankly, is irrelevant to the heart of the child of God. It doesn't matter how the Lord did. It's there. He purposed it. He planned it. He put it there. It was there for me. It was always there for me. I just didn't understand it. I didn't see it. But then he opened my eyes and there it is. And I want you to think with me then third on the cause of the abiding care. The cause of the abiding care. Our first point was the nature of our distress. Then we saw the application of God's provision. And now the cause of abiding care. Why did God come to rescue Hagar and Ishmael? Well, more to the point. Let's, let's, let's make it more to the point for us. Why will the Lord providentially care for me so that I too will see the well? Why is he going to do it? The answer the Lord actually gives us in the very words that we read. If you go back to verse 13, you have the answer. Where it says, and also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. Ishmael was Abraham's seed. I would challenge you to go back and read Genesis chapter 15. If you want to have a fuller picture of what we're talking about here. Or uh, and include with that the very end of Genesis chapter 22. Ishmael was Abraham's seed. The point is simple. Ishmael was a part of the seed that God spoke of when he made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. There he said he would bless Abraham and his seed after him. There was a covenant promise that could not be broken. Ishmael had to live. You understand that? That young man had to live. Child of God, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, the answer for you to, that you need to wrap your mind around today is you have to live. God will provide for you because you are in a covenant. Part of a covenant. In fact, as would even go so, we can go so far as to say God's ear was always open to the cry of the lad. We read that in verse 17. At the end of there, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. I'm going to say very, I think perhaps you say, I know right where you're going. Well, I hope. There's another covenant that has been made, a covenant that speaks on this subject and puts these words that we read into focus and puts the words that I'm about to read to you in focus. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 says what? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he, meaning Christ, shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Christ, as it were, has a seed of, in faith. There are those that are given to him by covenant. 
Again, with whom is that covenant that we just read of? John 17, 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. We have to live. We have to be provided for. We have to be those that the Lord undertakes for. Why? Because there's a covenant made with Jesus Christ that those that are given to him will be with him where he is. Oh, child of God, understand this. The provision of God is certain. Certain. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What is suggested by that verse? That God's going to give us things. No, God's going to give us all things. That God is going to consistently, constantly, and evermore give us those things that we are in need of his mercies, his graces, his forgiveness, all the things that Christ Jesus died to bring to us will be ours. Though you and I have to say that we are so much like Hagar that we walk through our days ignorant, not seeing. It may seem that the provision of the well is out of nowhere to us sometimes when the Lord provides. Well, that's because we cannot see God's planning before the need arises nor imagine the wonder of his giving us his aid. The Lord's providences are astounding. In fact, it'll be our confession when we see the final provision of our God when he brings us to be with himself. I hath not seen, neither ear heard, nor hath entered into the heart of man that which God hath provided for those that love him. It won't be anything that we would ever understand. The reason, the cause of the providence of God is not because you are worthy of knowing God's provision. It is because the Lord Jesus has a covenant that you will be the recipient of every mercy, of every grace, of every help from the hand of God. I'm just going to simply conclude by saying this. It may seem to us in our day that all is lost. That everything is just like it was for Hagar. And the only thing for us to do is to find some place to sit down and weep. We need to hear. We need to hear the word. We need to have our eyes open by the power of God. And when the Lord opens up, our eyes to see what he has provided for us in Christ Jesus, that we be those who swiftly arise and go and take of that, not allowing our petty little hearts to say, well, may, may not be what I want. It may seem all is lost, but for the child of God, there will always be a well out of nowhere. Why? Christ Jesus has purchased it. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts for his name's sake. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will allow the word of God to do within us that which you've sent it forth to do. We pray that thou will help us to be those who are by faith helped to see the constant care of our God, 
the abiding care, the never-ending, the complete, the satisfactory will of God. Lord, I pray now that you will bless us as we leave this place. Keep us in thy fear, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let's all stand.